Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this encouragement. I tear up as I hear it. God, I know you are with us and your strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. God, I have so much to say this morning, but I want your words to be the loudest. Will you help me to speak what you have for us? Will you help the hearers of this message to be encouraged with your great comfort? We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I know many made the choice to stay at home and live stream, and I'm glad that you're here. I hope today is a message of encouragement for you. For many people, Christmas is a great and encouraging part of the year, but for many people, Christmas is less than that, to say the least. The darkest day in my life happened in Christmas 2014. Earlier in that year, I found my wife who for the second time had made an attempt on her life. And in the hospital, confession started flowing out as the source of her depression that there were marital indiscretions that were causing her to feel such intense guilt. Throughout this next season of that year, greater and greater additional confessions of indiscretion had happened, including with my very own brother. And as I fought to keep and maintain my marriage in 2014, we got ultimately to a place where I asked my wife to move out on December 21st. The very next day, I drove to the airport and I picked up my brother and I let him know that I was aware of the indiscretions. And then I told him that we were gonna sit down in the same room on Christmas for the sake of the kids and we were gonna put smiles on our faces. And in that room, full of loving family and smiles and the joy of opening presents. Only the three of us, me and my wife and my brother, were aware of the intensity of that situation and what was in front of us. And in that moment, surrounded by family and smiles, I felt the most intense loneliness that I've ever, that I've ever experienced. And throughout that year, I would fight to stay in a place where I would be prepared to receive my wife, forgive her, and move forward in our marriage. We'd been married 14 years at that point. Ultimately, because of the decisions that were made, that marriage would end in divorce. And I would spend the rest of 2014 as a single dad. I experienced such intense loneliness and depression throughout that year. If it were not for the support of my church, my brothers and my sisters and my God, I would not be standing here in front of you. It took all of my faith to make it through that. I stand here today, my life greatly improved. But I can still remember the intense darkness that I felt in that year. On this day after Christmas, perhaps you were hoping for a light and uplifting message to carry us through the holiday season. Uh, and I, I, I have some good encouragement for you. I hope that you leave here encouraged. But for those of us that Christmas is a struggle, that it's a reminder of the things that we've lost, for those of us who have lost someone, it seems, it seems all too often that someone that you love 
dies right around this time. And so this time is a reminder of what's lost. It is all too often that we are reminded of the brokenness in this time when we all have the hope and the expectation that Christmas will be our savior, at least this year. Hopefully this year, I will experience the joy that maybe I felt as a child. But we're reminded of the brokenness and what's missing, what's incomplete in our families. If you have ever experienced any kind of depression or sorrow or anxiety or trouble or great stress, this message is a message of encouragement for you. You are not alone. Throughout the Bible, we have people who put on display their great sorrow that they felt. David, he asked the question in the Psalms, why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Elijah says, take away my life, God. It's unbearable for me. I want to die. Job, of course, having everything stripped from him, had similar requests of God. Jesus himself, sweating in the garden of Gethsemane, blood, or sweating blood, I'm sorry, blood coming from his pores, experienced such great stress and trouble. You are not alone. Charles Spurgeon gives us this quote, the road, to the road to sorrow has been well trodden. It is the regular sheep track to heaven, and all the flock of God had to pass along it. He's saying we all will walk that path of sorrow on our way to heaven. Jesus, in fact, gives us this same encouragement. He says in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. That's what Jesus is offering is peace. But he gives us a reminder about what's here for us here in this world. Very same verse, verse 33. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus himself has experienced this great sorrow. In fact, in Isaiah 53, it says, apologize. He was despised by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus is called the man of sorrows. He knows exactly how it is that you are feeling. He's felt it. That sympathy is next to his sacrifice in the greatest thing that he could give us in the right here and the right now. I mention uh, Spurgeon because he is, if, you, if you're not aware, uh, one of the great preachers. Uh, we don't even have any audio recordings of him because he was in the 1800s, but we do have transcripts of his sermons. And, and experienced pastors, uh, and, and maybe more so inexperienced pastors uh, and preachers, will not dare to preach a sermon without first checking to say, what did Spurgeon say about this passage? 
right? Because he had such a successful preaching career, he was so effective, he drew thousands to come and hear him. They would crowd into theaters to hear what he had to say from a very, very young age. He was very successful. Yet he preached openly about his great sorrow, about his great depression. He experienced great depression. He experienced a circumstance when he was 22 years old. Again, such a great preacher that the theater uh, would be packed full, every seat taken, and they would push their way up into the balcony. Such great crowds would gather to hear him. A prankster at the age of 20, Spurgeon is giving a sermon, he's 22 years old. A prankster yells, fire! And there is a stampede for the door as one might suspect, except this is not just a simple prank. Eight people are dead, 26 people injured. It is a great catastrophe. The newspapers blame Charles. They blame Spurgeon. They said he had no care or concern that he would allow the people to, to crowd into that theater that he would allow, that he would just go on preaching. See, he noticed the commotion, but he continued to preach. He didn't know what was happening. He didn't realize people were dying, but he preached. He continued to preach his entire sermon, and the papers blasted him. And he said, this, this book, which I highly recommend if you've experienced any kind of sorrow, depression, uh, despair, uh, in this book, he's quoted as saying, and this is in a sermon, Charles Spurgeon says, I almost regret this morning that I have ventured to occupy this pulpit because I feel utterly unable to preach to you for your profit. He goes on to say, I feel somewhat of those same painful emotions which I well nigh prostrated me before. You will therefore excuse me this morning. I've been utterly unable to study. He was, he was in such despair he walks up onto the pulpit and he says, you're gonna to have to forgive me. I've been so depressed this week, I haven't even been able to study. Could you imagine walking up on the stage, not even having something prepared to say and starting with, I'm sorry, I haven't even studied, and then giving a sermon, right? He says, oh spirit of God, magnify thy strength in thy servant's weakness and enable him to honor his Lord even when his soul is cast down within him. I read that, and I was like, wait, we can do that? We can be that honest and vulnerable? I can come up here and admit to you that I'm feeling so weak and down and despairing that I'm genuinely counting on the promises of Scripture, and I would say I'm counting now on the Spirit of God, the power of Christ, because I don't have what I desire to give to you, and that is a really great sermon to leave encouraged, to leave having heard God's word, your heart transformed, each of you making a decision to live differently as a result of what I might bring from God's word today. But I'm unable to do that. I don't have that within me because like Charles who confesses 25 years after this event is still experiencing sorrow, 
right around this same time, right around the same time of year as this event that happened, Charles is still experiencing sorrow 25 years later. I read that Charles had to take off uh, every, every winter. He would take off two or three months. He'd just say, sorry, I'm too depressed. I can't do it. And his church would just have to accept and receive that he's, he's, he's giving so much in the other 10 months, they just have to be okay with the fact that he doesn't have anything to give in those two months each summer or I'm sorry, each winter. And like Charles, and this was the great encouragement that was given to me, I still experience sorrow each time this year. I've tried so hard to escape it. Last year I went to Alabama. We were at Destin, Florida on the white sand beaches in the sun. We're swimming in the ocean. And man, that was such a great holiday with my family. But guess what was waiting for me when I got home? My sorrows, my depression. I still felt such incredible sadness. What do I have even to be sad about? If you know me, I have an amazing wife. I've remarried, and I have incredible kids, and I have such wonderful friends, and I have the great privilege to serve at such an incredible church. What can I possibly have to be sad about? And I can honestly tell you there isn't anything. Yet here I am, standing in front of you today, I find it hard to get through the day sometimes, to find the motivation to get up out of bed. I feel depleted. So what do I do? I want to give you guys some, some connecting points, some handles, some things that you can attach yourself to because maybe you're sitting here saying, I don't suffer from depression. I don't feel sad. I'm not going through anything right now. Well. Perhaps you will one day, and this will be helpful for you. Perhaps you love and care about somebody who is going through this. One of, the, one of the least helpful things that we can do is telling people to get back on the horse, right? Come on, you can do it, get up, right? It feels like encouragement, but strong people look at weak people and tell them to be strong. And it's not helpful. One more person tell me to read the book of James and have a new perspective, right? To consider it all joy and, and suffering, right? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to speak of God's word in that way. I have found a way to, to consider suffering joy. But when you're in the middle of it, man, I don't even want to, I, I can't even look at the Bible, let alone hear a sermon or a, or a, a, a comment from somebody that I should just stop feeling the way that I'm feeling. That's not helpful. See, if you have experienced some kind of sorrow or depression, you actually do understand what's helpful. You understand what kind of help you can be, especially when you've experienced the comfort that God is offering. I want you, or I, you, you can take a look at, uh, with me if you want. It won't be on your screens. Um, but I, I did want to read 2 Corinthians 1. This, is, this has guided me. This has been kind of my, my life verse. Now that I've, I've felt and experienced great trouble, great sorrow, great depression. And, and, and by the way, many of you have way tougher stories than this. 
like way harder lives than, than anything that I've experienced. I'm not saying that, that I'm the model or the example. This is certainly not a sermon about me. I am trying to do for you what Charles did for me 150 years ago. He wasn't thinking about me. But he said, I want to tell you what I'm experiencing so that you too can be encouraged and recognize that you are not alone. So this has been a guiding verse for me, especially in the counseling ministry here at Outward Church. 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Did you catch that? I am uniquely positioned now, having received God's comfort and the comfort of God's people to understand the kind of comfort that is needed by those who are suffering. Because I've experienced it, I now get to give it. This is God's calling on our lives. He knows that you'll experience sorrow. He's calling you to experience his comfort, and he's calling you to be a part of the comfort that he plans to offer to his people. I want to just real quickly give you something to attach to uh, when we're talking about uh, depression, and I want to dive into the help that we find in Ephesians. Your uh, depression, sadness, sorrow, anxiety, by the way, Often when I'm counseling somebody, they won't use the word depression. Somebody doesn't come in and say, I'm depressed, right? They come in and say, like, I'm, I'm, you know, oh, I'm just irritable. I just, I'm just grumpy all the time. Or I'm not finding very much motivation to get out of bed. Or we're often not using these words even though it is our emotional experience. And I can connect to that because I do everything I can to not feel the way that I'm feeling. I don't want to feel the way that I'm feeling. So I try everything, whether it's, whether it's food, whether it's Netflix, whether it's alcohol, whether it's uh, you know, pornography, whatever, whatever it is that you would try, every single one of those are meant to make me feel differently than I want to feel. I don't want to feel the way that I feel. Maybe your depression is circumstantial. You might be right in the middle of it, right? You are currently experiencing something that is causing you great sadness or grief, let me tell you, this is God's gift. Feeling sad about sad things is the help that God gave us. That's how we move through. That's how we move to the other side. Your uh, depression might be chemical. There seems that there are some that are born with a disposition towards melancholy. They just experience sadness. They experience the same events, but because of the chemistry of their bodies, everything is more intense. The loss of a job is even greater of a loss for them. So your, your depression may not be circumstantial. It might actually be chemical, biological, a part of your makeup biologically. Your depression might be spiritual. This is the worst kind, and I'll get 
into that, but the basic idea of spiritual depression is the thought of God may have grace for other people, but not for me. Your spiritual depression says that maybe because of your sin, you're now so far away from God that you don't have access to the kind of comfort that he's offering. You're outside of his love, his care. And that will lead to the worst kind of depression because at least for those who are experiencing a circumstantial, biological, chemical, uh, or past traumatic type of depression can have their hope in God. But when you are not even able to hope in God, there is no hope left. So what we find in 2 Corinthians, what I, what I, what I want you to see as, a, as an offer of help, as an offer of hope here in 2 Corinthians is that Paul himself maybe was experiencing a kind of depression. There is, there, is some, uh, there is some debate about exactly what Paul is talking about. Let me show you. In 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. What is this thorn? What is this thorn? What was Paul's thorn? Well, we don't know exactly, but we do know it's something he didn't want it. He didn't want this thorn. He went to God and he said, please take this away. I don't want it. Please take it. I don't want to be feeling the way that I'm feeling. I don't want to be experiencing what I'm experiencing. What does Paul recognize? That the one true help would come from God himself. He would go to God because that's where his help would come from. This thorn, I believe, is a little bit ambiguous because it gives us all something to attach to, doesn't it? You could take whatever experience that you're going through and say, I've got a thorn. I've got a thing. Whether it's lust, whether it's some kind of temptation, whether it's some kind of ailment, whether it's a situation, a tough relationship, a situation, a circumstance, we've all got something we'd like for God to take away. But what's the answer? Paul pleads with God to take away this thorn, which, by the way, keeps him from becoming conceited. How does that work? This trouble I have, this burden that I'm carrying, is keeping me from becoming overconfident. Well, if we think about it, that's not so hard to think about. I'm sitting here with, I'm telling you that I wish I had more to give. In this very busy week of Christmas Eve, I wanted to be more available to my, to my team. Constantly, people are asking me, Brandon, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. But clearly my face is saying I'm not okay. My wife, she just had a knee surgery, and I'm wanting to be attentive and, 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 and comforting and available and full of energy to be able to help and serve her, and I just feel like I don't have anything to give. 
And that keeps me from becoming conceited because I believe in my mind this lie that all I got to do is just work harder, be stronger, stand up, go, flex, do it, right? I believe in my own abilities. And my weakness here keeps me from becoming conceited, no doubt. I want to have greater confidence, but I don't. So continuing in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Whatever it is, that can be, that can be whatever you want to attach that to. You have your thorn. You've asked God to get rid of it. What has God's answer been to you? Well, God's answer to Paul was, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Did Jesus just tell Paul he's not going to answer his prayer? Yes. It is an emphatic yes. Jesus just said, Paul, I heard your request, but my grace is sufficient for you. That's not an answer we expect to hear when we're praying and asking God for help. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because Jesus is about something else. He warned us, he told us that there will be trials and tribulations in this life. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Christ is more concerned about the power displayed, his glory displayed, than he is about Paul looking awesome. Paul gives a great list of all the things that he had happened to him in, in, uh, in, in chapter 11. He had been shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned. To me, it sounds like he's, he's almost bragging about it, but I think there's a part of him that's saying, I'm a shell of a man. I mean, this guy's experiencing some serious PTSD. You get anywhere near a ship, a ship and I'll bet Paul shakes a little bit because of the things that he had experienced. Paul, a shell of a man, is now finding in himself the desire to be more than he is, but in order to keep him from becoming conceited, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to answer your prayer. Let me tell you what, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power, which is what I'm more interested in than making you look good or feel strong, is my power displayed. Jesus says, my power displayed is more important than you feeling strong or experiencing comfort and ease in this life. He said, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul's response to this. This encounter with Jesus, him praying and asking God for help. He says, I will boast all the more in my weakness. I will boast in my weakness. Hey, guys, I'm weak. If you see anything lovely, beautiful, or wonderful in my life, that's Jesus. You're seeing Jesus in my life because I'm not strong.
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We go to Jesus as though we want him to teach us how to not need him. How does that get flipped around? Do you hear what I said? We, we're asking Jesus to teach us to not need him. The whole point is Jesus is saying, I want you to need me. I want you to lean on me. I want you to come to me like a child and say, Dad, I don't have what it takes to do this. I need you to help me in my weakness. We come to a place where we realize, I am depressed. I'm experiencing sorrow. We can start to see this weakness and start to, start to acknowledge it and let it be a reminder for us. Yeah, I still need Jesus. And this is good. This is part of God's design because now when people see me, and they see anything good in my life, I can boast in my weakness because all they're seeing is Jesus. But a diagnosis is not a cure. You might now finally realize, I am sad. This has been hard. In the book, The, the Body Keeps the Score, there's a reminder that, that, that though our, our brain has moved on, our mind has moved on, all of our reasoning has moved on, there's something in our body that just remembers a smell, remembers a place, remembers a season, a date, an environment, and it's just activated. That's what happens in me. So I'm not cured. I've pleaded with God to take this away. But here we are again. It's Christmas. Yesterday was a lonely day for me, surrounded by family. But I'll boast in my weakness. I want to give you just a couple of, I don't want to leave you without giving you um, just a little bit of help, okay? A little bit of help. We have a counseling ministry here. I, I, if you're experiencing sadness, sorrow, especially in this time, time of year, we have counselors who are standing by who, who just want to help you, want to be there for you. But let me just give you just some quick helps, okay? God's word gives us the language of depression. You could go to Psalm 88 and you'll see in there such intense words of suffering. He's giving metaphors for the depression that I didn't even realize I felt. I don't have the words to describe, so we need metaphors. I don't know, it's like a fog that enters into my mind, right? We need these metaphors to help us to even understand how we're feeling. The Bible offers that. You don't feel the strength to do it, but, but do it. Go to those places. No matter how deep you go, grace goes deeper still. Deal with the highs and lows. You, you, you kind of have to ride those. Rather than trying to escape or, or, or medicate away, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to say medication prescribed by your doctor. I actually feel like that's an important part of, of treating this. I'm saying medicate in the way that you, you might drink alcohol or, or misuse medication in order to take away the pain. Tell your story, not for sympathy. 
We tell our story not for sympathy, but to sympathize. You see, when I'm sharing my story, I get to tell somebody, I know how you feel. I've been through that too. You're not alone. When you share your story, you get to let people know they're not suffering alone. Learn how to talk to yourself. Proclaiming the truths of God's word. Look for like cases in the Bible. Look for people who have a similar story in in God's word. Elijah was suicidal. But look at the comfort that was offered to him. And then look forward into Elijah's life and see that there was much that was experienced and lived that he would have missed out on if he would have ended his life in that moment. Pray. Pray. God cares so much about you and he's with you. Find natural helps. I don't mean go to the vitamin store. I mean, maybe that's helpful too, but if a warm bath helps, take a warm bath. If spending some time by the river helps, do that. Take care of yourself. Live moment by moment. The trouble with depression is is we're looking at all of the things that are taken or will never be, and we're looking into the future and we're bringing them right here into this moment. Live this moment right now. Get through the next minute, the next hour. Look for evidences of God's grace in your life. I want to give you an example of the way uh, that God comforts us. My good friend Ryan Brady, who's sitting back there, he's, he's touching the slides and uh, moving, moving through all of the live stream production stuff. He knew, because I've shared with him the story, that this is a hard season for me, that regularly I'm experiencing depression in this time. And he sent me a text. He didn't know what was going on. We weren't together. We weren't in the same place. He sent me a text. He said, hey, man, I was reading this, and it, it made me think of you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. I want to read to you the verse that he sent me. Isaiah 57. I'll close with this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy places and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says, he declares, that I make my dwelling place with those who are low. I'm with them. I spend my time with them. He goes on to say in verse 18 of Isaiah 57, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners creating the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. He comforts mourners 
and He will heal you. It may be that in this life you'll experience troubles, but He will heal you. But one thing is true. He is with you. And He knows exactly what it feels like. He's felt it Himself. His ability to sympathize is next to His sacrifice and the greatest thing He's given to us. We now get to take a reminder of that great sacrifice, a reminder of God's presence with us. As we take communion, I'm going to invite the the ushers to come, and we're going to take the elements of communion. I'm going to invite the band to come up. This is a weekly reminder of the presence of God, the sacrifice of God. This is the man of sorrows whose body was broken, whose blood was spilled for us for our comfort, for our healing. His promise to us is that he is always with us. What he promises us is his presence. Always with us, always able to sympathize, and we get that reminder now. If your depression is spiritual because of your sin... You are far from God. You have created a space between you and God. This now can be a reminder of the forgiveness that he offers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Consider now what sin you might have in your life that might have led you to this place of sorrow or depression. Ask for forgiveness. Receive that forgiveness. Let's take the body. The blood that was spilled for you because he loves you and his desire to comfort you. Let's take the blood. Pray with me. God, Your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lead us to a place where we would boast in our weakness because in our weakness, we ask you for help. It's only when we're weak we ask for help. God, help us to stay in a place where we are always only ever needing your help and always only ever moving by your power. Help us to boast in our weakness. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.